may be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We live in fearful times, in fear-filled times. There are innumerable reasons and conditions right now that people are filled and gripped with fear. And of course, it's true in any time, right? There's plenty of causes and reasons to have fear, but it seems like especially in our day, fear and a spirit of fear has suffused our world, whether it be COVID or whether it be uh, the economy or whether it be things happening abroad, foreign nations, wars and rumors of wars. And that's all the stuff just out there in the world, not to mention the things in our own lives, whether it be health issues or family issues or financial issues, whatever it might be. We, lived in, we live in fear-filled, fearful times. And here's the thing, it's worse yet because that plays right into the hands of of the evil one. Scripture tells us that Satan wants to hold the world in slavery to the fear of death. Like a puppet master, he pulls the strings on each and every one of us insofar as we continue to live gripped with fear, even though Scripture tells us that perfect love, God's perfect love, drives out all fear, that Christ Jesus came to conquer fear, and indeed, the most common commandment in all of the Bible is this, don't be afraid. We're still getting the memo, right? We live in fearful, fear-filled times, and so Psalm 46 could not be more relevant for us today. Psalm 46 you may know, was the inspiration for Martin Luther's great hymn, A Mighty Fortress, which was itself the battle hymn of the Reformation. Psalm 46, which speaks of faith in the face of fear. And notice this. It's not that it ignores those causes for fear. This is why I love Psalm 46. It acknowledges all those sources, all those reasons that you and I might be afraid Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, we look out at the world and, and there are plenty of reasons to be afraid. And that's why Psalm 46 inculcates in us, it creates and sustains in us what I want to call a defiant faith. A defiant faith in contrast to a deluded faith. What's a deluded faith? A deluded faith is when you and I just try to ignore all of those fearful things out there or in here and act as though everything is cool. We just whitewash the world and pretend that everything is fine when we know everything is not fine. That's a, a deluded faith. It's a Pollyanna-ish faith. And that's not ultimately going to sustain you because when the going gets tough, you will get going because you'll say, well, wait a second. I thought God promised that if I believe in Jesus, everything is going to be smooth sailing. Of course, he makes no such promise. What we have, what Psalm 46 so powerfully conveys, is not a deluded faith, but a defiant faith. A defiant faith sees the earth being shaken, the mountains moved into the heart of the seas, and says, nevertheless, nevertheless, we will not fear. What I want to do with our time together this morning is to unpack the reasons that Psalm 46 gives for why you and I need not fear, why we can have defiant faith in fearful times. And to summarize it simply, as the psalm unpacks it, it's this. 
It's all centered in God and who God is. God for us, God with us, and God above us. This is why we need not fear, why we can have this defiant faith. Because God is for us, God is with us, and God is above us. Firstly, God is for us. Martin Luther said that these two words, if they are not appended to any proclamation of the so-called gospel, then it fails to be good news. And why is that? I was talking with a woman recently, and she was telling me how she has never struggled to believe in God. She said from her earliest days growing up, you know, she was, she was brought up in the church and it always just made sense to her that there was a God, a creator who made all things. She said that wasn't her struggle. Her struggle as she went through her life and many difficulties, health difficulties, family difficulties, she said the struggle for her has always been not to believe that there is a God, but that that God is for her, that he is on her side. So Luther says we need these two words if the gospel is truly going to be good news. Not just that Jesus died and rose again, but that Jesus did it for you, see. That that promise is made for you. And here is how our psalm starts. God is for us. He's for us. That is the bedrock promise that we cling to in the midst of this fear-filled world. That there's not only just a God who exists, who's out there, some distant absentee landlord of the, of the cosmos, but instead you have a personal God who is for you. And what is he for you? He is a refuge and a strength. God is your castle that you can flee to in times of trouble. He is that tempered tower that is well-proved. I love that phrase, well-proved. Because all of, the, all of the enemies of God continue to assault him and his people. And that fortress, that refuge is well proved, still standing. The gates of Hades can't overwhelm it. Amen? It's well proved because you and I continue to flee for it and for refuge. And time and time and time again, we see how God is for us. How he is for us, a refuge and a strength. And in the midst of all of the difficulties, the trials and tribulations that we endure in this life, Still, there is our refuge and our strength, our ever-present help in trouble. He is for us. And so also, you might hear those echoes, those resonances of Romans 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? You have a God who is for you. Christ Jesus conquered the grave for you because he lives. There can be no doubt, there can be no question that you have a God who is on your side. Again, that doesn't mean that life is always easy. That doesn't mean that as believers, we are able to get a free pass out of suffering. Unfortunately, that is not the case. But in the midst of that, nevertheless, we have that defiant faith because you know that God is for you. And so nothing and no one can be against you. The psalm continues. God is not only for us, he's also with us. So it picks up in verse four. You want to follow along in your, in your uh, worship folder. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. 
She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is what? With us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. We have a God who's not just for us, but with us. You know, today, of course, is not only Reformation Day, which, of course, is the first thing you think about on October 31st, being good Lutherans. It's also, so I'm told, Halloween. And, you know, Halloween is kind of crazy holiday in a lot of ways, but you think about it as parents, we're constantly telling our kids, beware of strangers. You know, don't just go wandering freely, especially not in nighttime. I mean, the Tenettis do this because we're free-range parents, right? Uh, But normally, we're not supposed to do this sort of thing. And yet on Halloween, we say, yeah, go ahead, just dress up, wander around the neighborhood, knock on strangers' doors, and ask for candy. Makes sense. But why is it not such a fearful thing, especially for the youngest among us? Imagine me sending my four-year-old out into the neighborhood in the dark. Oh my gosh, can you imagine how fearful that would be for her? But why is she able to do it? Well, because daddy is with her, right? If daddy's with her, what does she need to fear? Though she walked through the valley of the shadow of death, RIP signs everywhere she looks, she fears no evil, right? Because her daddy's with her. And how much more is that the case for you and me? We have a God who is not only for us, but who is also with us, who walks beside us, accompanies us every step of the way. If God was just for us, but somewhere distant, far off, and says, yeah, hey, I'm for you, but good luck out there, that wouldn't be quite as comforting. But the fact of the matter is, God is not just for you, he is with you. And in fact, that line from verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The Hebrew word there, a phrase for with us, is emanu. Let me hear you say emanu. And what does that sound like? Emmanuel, right? It's the root of that name, Emmanuel, appended to our Lord Jesus. And that means, remember, God with us. Psalm 46 already is gesturing toward, pointing forward to our Emmanuel, Christ Jesus, God with us, who dwells in the midst of us. And not only that, it mentions this river, which is kind of strange. I've never been to Jerusalem, but my understanding is there is not a river passing through the city of Jerusalem. So what is it talking about here? There's a river that makes glad the city of God. I think this is alluding to the Holy Spirit. As Jesus tells us that the one who calls on him out of his heart will flow streams of living water. See, here we have Emmanuel, God with us, who sends to us his Holy Spirit, who comes out of us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, dwelling with us, that Trinitarian faith that you and I have. Therefore, the nations can rage, the kingdoms can totter, all of those ghostly ghouls and spooky skeletons can come after you and me. And yet God gives forth his word. The earth melts. We need not fear. Defiant faith, see. God is for us. God is with us. And one more thing. God is above us. God is above us. He is exalted above the nations. He is exalted above the earth. And we need this. In many ways, this notion that God is above us vouchsafes, vouchsafes, protects the fact that God is also for us and with us. And why is that? I love the story that's told about a, a theologian, one of my favorite theologians, a guy by the name of Stanley Hauerwas. 
And Stanley Hauerwas, he was in the hospital for this or that disease or sickness. I forget what it was. And anytime a theologian is in the hospital, you know it's going to be bad for his pastor. <clears throat> and so Stanley Hauerwas, he's there in the hospital. He calls the pastor to, to come and visit him. And his pastor was a really nice guy. And this nice guy came as Hauerwas is laying in the bed. And he's, he's sick. He's struggling. He's hurting. And the pastor, the nice pastor, comes into the room and he says, Hey, Stanley, how you doing today? And Hauerwas grabs him and pulls him next to the bed. He says, Truth is, I'm hurting like you know what. And if you can't give me the Eucharist and pray for me, then you can get out of here right now. <laughs> that almost never happens to me when I visit you guys in the hospital. <laughs> What he realized, what we all need to recognize, is that we need a transcendent God. Not just some heavenly buddy, not just some cosmic therapist who says, I'm with you and I'm for you. But also one who can shatter the cosmos with his word, who is able to make the earth melt, who holds the heavens in his hands. And that is what you and I have in our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is not only with you, for you, but also above you and above all things, in whom, the scripture says, all things hold together, who is before all things. Therefore, you and I can be confident because he is almighty, because he is sovereign, because, as the confirmation kids learn, he is omnipotent, all-powerful, able to hold all things in his hands. Satan might think that he is the puppet master, the one who is able to pull the strings, but ultimately it is God Almighty who has command over creation, over your destiny and mine, and therefore we need not fear. Therefore, Psalm 46 says, you and I can be still that most elusive of practices in our day and age. Be still. And I love the Hebrew here, which might otherwise be translated as chillax, okay? Just chill, relax, be still. It's the same word that is spoken that the Lord says through Moses as the Israelites are standing on the edge of the Red Sea and freaking out. You remember that? And they're saying, ah, the food was wasted better in Egypt. Were there not enough graves back there that you had to bring us and just kill us, drown us? That's way worse. And God says, Chillax and know that I am God. Be still. This is the gift that you and I have when we trust in this almighty God who is for us, with us, and above us. Stillness. Rest. Because here he is for you and me. So that when we come to the Lord's table and receive his very presence with us and for us, Receive that Eucharist that also tells us he is above us and fills all things. You can be still in his presence and not fear. That's defiant faith. Listen, I'll close with this. It's 1521. And Luther is on his way going to that most delicious of meetings, the Diet of Worms. Pastor Nelson, that's the best pastor joke, isn't it? Never gets old. Never gets old. He's riding in this carriage to the Diet of Worms, and he knows in his heart that in all likelihood he's not only going to be found guilty, it's just kind of a, a kangaroo court kind of thing, but that he's probably going to be sentenced to death. 
And so his friend Spalatin writes to Luther and says to him, encourages him, admonishes him, Martin, flee! Run for your life! Don't be a fool! Why are you going into this knowing that it's going to mean your death? And Luther writes back to his friend Spalatin. He says, I am coming, my Spalatin, although Satan has done everything to hinder me. Christ lives. I would enter Worms even if as many devils were in that city as tiles on the roofs. And the story goes that as Luther is writing to his friend Spalatin and he is meditating on Psalm 46, that it's then that he was inspired to write the words of a mighty fortress. Perhaps it is after he finished the ink was dry on that letter to Spalatin that then he wrote this stanza of our great hymn. Though hordes of devils fill the land all threatening to devour us, we tremble not, unmoved we stand, they cannot overpower us. Let this world's tyrant rage. In battle will engage, his might is doomed to fail, God's judgment must prevail, one little word subdues him. Friends, for those of us who trust in Christ Jesus, we don't live by a deluded faith that pretends that everything is just fine and we close our eyes and say, wee, 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 all is well, and we whistle past the graveyard, but rather in the face of death and the grave, in the face of persecution and opposition, in the face of the earth being moved and the mountains traveling into the heart of the sea, you and I say, yeah, and what of it? Nevertheless, I will not fear. If God is for me, who can be against me? If God is with me, what shall I fear? If God is above all things and holds all things together, how can I be afraid? Amen? And so we stand by that defiant faith. In the face of it all, we hold fast to Christ Jesus, knowing that he is Lord, that he lives. God's word forever shall abide, no thanks to foes who fear it. For God himself fights by our side with weapons of the Spirit. Were they to take our house, goods, honor, child, or spouse, though life be wrenched away, they cannot win the day. The kingdom's ours forever. And by that faith, dear friends, you will stand fast. You can do no other. Amen. And may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand to confess our faith.